Hello and welcome to Farmerama. We're very grateful to those of you that support us and allow us to bring you these stories every month. Even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. So if you'd like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com forward slash Farmerama. This month we hear from a Cumbrian sheep farmer working collectively with his neighbours to farm and regenerate the landscape. And we learn about one organisation providing the infrastructure and frameworks for landscape restoration on multiple continents. James Rebanks farms sheep and cows in Cumbria. He explains what it means to be a commoner and tells us how a local group have come together to set up a community interest company which has allowed farmers to work collaboratively in their ecological restoration efforts. You may have already heard of James as he's the author of a number of best-selling books. My, my name's James Rebanks and... Uh, I run with my wife, Helen, uh, a family farm in the Lake District. We're 1,100 feet above sea level. We've got 185 acres that we own, another 200 or so acres that we rent off other people or graze for them. And then we have, because uh, we're commoners, we have rights to graze a flock of sheep on the mountain. And we haven't got a flat field on the farm. Our other fields are like a 45-degree slope. The mountains here still belong often to the descendants of the feudal aristocrats that once owned them. And the story here was, uh, so the mountain that I grazed technically belongs to, it actually belongs to a charity now, but most of them belong to the descendants of the feudal aristocrat that used to own them. Uh, People like myself established a second legal right of ownership, which was the right to take from the mountain what a certain number of sheep could take with their mouths. Um, and then there's a third ownership, which is the actual sheep themselves on the mountain. And those three things can belong to three different people. So you have this sort of layers, you can have layers of ownership. So I, I rent the right to graze from an elderly shepherdess that I, I work with. The sheep belong to me. The mountain doesn't belong to me. I mean, if you talk to farmers who just used to owning their land, they're like, what is this crazy stuff? And historically, we were effectively squatters. And that aristocrat from time to time would ask us to go and fight against the Scots in, you know, as the rent, which is why in all the battles between the British and the Scots, almost always they end in people running away. Because like, who wants to die for, <laughs> for, for a, a, a mountainside that doesn't grow very much grass? So there's a lot of running away in those battles. So to get the sheep off the mountain where we have our sheep, it takes 10 or 12 people and 25 dogs two days to get them down. And we have to do that six times a year. You're left in no doubt if you farm here that you need a lot of other people and you have to have some kind of working relationship with them. Now, it doesn't mean we're all friends. Like There's all sorts of grumbles and reasons why we'd be mumbling under our breath about what an idiot that guy is. But we ultimately have to work together and... It was interesting when my dad died six years ago, some of those people who I wouldn't think of as close friends at all, I've got a functional relationship with them. What I love is that they they would like message me after my dad died saying, if you need help on the farm, just let us know. And you think, wow, like that's a guy when I was 20 years old, I wanted to punch his head in in the pub. (laughs) 
and that and now he's offering like him and his wife are offering to come and help me on the farm and to make me a cake and stuff and you think hang on there's there's some decency there in all of those people so I think the thing I've got most excited about, about the collaborative thing here, and I'm not at the forefront of this, is that we've started to do all sorts of things together. We created a community interest company, or rather my friend Danny created a community interest company to to do a lot of fundraising and bureaucracy and other things to get the money to do things on farms from governments or charities or river restoration uh, charities. And he's what we're finding is that that works brilliantly well. So my friend Danny, who runs that community interest company, will go and do all of the boring legwork to get the money. Uh, he's also been around all of the 20 or 30 farmers in this valley and the next. He knows where each of them is on this journey. Some of them only want some new hedgerows because they want new fences. Some of them will prepare to put ponds in. Some of them want to create wood pasture. Some of them are super nerdy and want to do almost rewilding type projects. And what's cool is he can package that all together and he can take like two valleys worth of that stuff to government, to funders and say, okay, like if you've got 300,000 pounds, let's, let's do a serious project that delivers a whole bunch of outcomes. And we found that's working really, really well. And it's really stimulating a lot of us to think, why are we selling our meat and things as commodities? Why is there no added value for farming in the most beautiful bit of England for, for doing all these things for insects, birds, rivers, I don't think we're anywhere near the cutting edge or the coolest, smartest thinking on working collaboratively, but we're definitely going down that road and we're going to have to, we're going to have to take a bunch of steps quickly if we want to maximize what we're good at and, and really add value. Do you know what's really funny? I, I set off on this journey of trying to change our farm uh, slightly, how would I put it? A little bit like I described before. I wasn't telling all my neighbors about it. I was just like, this is what I believe. This is what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to put more hedges in. I'm going to put more trees in. And I think I assumed that my neighbors would at some point think I was crazy, but I was going to do it anyway. Uh, the cool thing was that my friend Danny went around the valley. He spoke to everybody, like one-on-one, non-threatening, over a cup of tea, walked around the farm. And then he came back and he was grinning from ear to ear when he came back to see me. He said, you guys are idiots. You all think that you're going to get laughed at by each other. And he said, nearly all of you are thinking along the same lines. All of you want to build ponds. All of you want to put hedgerows in. All of you know that you're not the cheapest commodity producers in the world. All of you love, all of you love your land. And to, to a greater or lesser extent, all of them wanted to work with him. And, and I'm hearing this thinking, why have I, why have I not had that conversation? And I, I think it's because we're so culturally conservative that we're a bunch of boys, that, boys and girls that grew up talking about sheep on the road, competing with sheep at sheep shows or cattle. Nature wasn't a cool thing we ever spoke about, really. Well, it wasn't something we were embarrassed about. It just wasn't the first thing you spoke about or the thing that we we hooked our identity on. So it's it's been kind of cool to for those conversations to start. And that's literally in the last two, three, four, five years. We're all coming out now and saying, actually, I'm really into like habitat restoration. Um, uh, is that okay with you guys? And uh, um, it's it's making me laugh a lot because, yeah, people are stopping on the road now and they're like, I didn't know you were into this stuff. Like, we've just built all these ponds. Do you want to come and see them? And so I, I think it's going to become part of who we are and uh, an accepted part of who we are. And, and how silly that a bunch of guys and girls would, would not have that as a core and open part of our identity. But I think that's the truth. And the, the other thing here, and I mean, I wrote about it in my first book, The Shepherd's Life, that this was effectively a place settled by or deeply influenced by Viking settlers, Viking farmers. They brought Scandinavian farming, Scandinavian sheep genetics, 
Scandinavian ideas. And one of the ideas that really stuck here, um, I think they call it Yanti's Law or Yantelagen in Sweden or Denmark and Norway. And it's effectively an idea coined by a novelist, which is that it's like a, a really robust form of egalitarianism. You're not meant to think you're better than anyone else. You're not meant to be cleverer than the people around you. You're not meant to be louder or flashier than the people around you. You're meant to fit in. And that's traditionally been thought of as a negative thing, a thing that stifled creativity and individuality. But I think, it's, I think it has some upsides. I think it has some upsides that you might, you might think about the whole. You might think about everybody else's feelings. You might think about how you fit in. And yeah, we, yeah just as a family, we, we, we probably believe that quite strongly. So we, we try not to stick out and make everybody else feel uncomfortable. We'll just go under the radar and do it more subtly if we can. How, how that fits with writing best-selling books, I don't know. That must be, that's where I've blown my cover. I think human beings have a sense of what's beautiful and always did. There's this rubbish idea that the romantic poets taught us what was beautiful. No, they didn't. People have always known what was beautiful. There's stone circles like 10 miles from here that are built in the most beautiful field in the valley. You're telling me those people four and a half thousand years ago didn't care about beauty? Of course they did. I think trying to make the farm beautiful is often a simple way for a human to understand what nature needs, if I'm honest. What I'm hopeful about is that I know that I can mend this farm. Like it wasn't completely screwed. It was there's some good stuff on it to start off with, thanks to my dad and my granddad and mom and grandmother. But I can make the problems here better. I can, get, I can make them vanish by good man, land management and by adding things that are needed. And what gives me hope is that not only can I do that, but my neighbors are doing it right now and are starting on that journey. And before you know it, you've, you've made a valley better. And then like the, my, my friends in the next valley are starting as well. And it's like, okay, that's two valleys. I think that's how we save the world. That's, it starts one field, one farmer at a time. It gets big pretty quick if the ideas are strong enough and the culture is powerful and embraces that. And all right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a noisy, talk-too-much writer who, uh, <laughs> who talks about this stuff, but what you're doing on the podcast, what I'm doing with my books, what thousands of other people are doing on social media, the, the culture is changing. It's going to get better. And the culture changes the land, I think. Erica Tenbroek is landscape manager at Commonland, a Dutch NGO on a mission to transform degraded landscapes into thriving ecosystems with equal focus on the land and the communities that live and work there. They are creating the infrastructure and support to enable a whole region to address biodiversity, climate change, regenerative agriculture, and revitalize communities all in one go. Uh, Commonland believes it's possible to restore large-scale degraded landscapes based on a business case. Case that's already very special. We even take it one step further, and we think uh, we can generate four returns by restoring large-scale degraded landscapes. So, a return on inspiration, on social capital, on natural capital, uh, and a return on financial capital. So, um, that is in in a nutshell uh, the four returns framework. And that is what we try to rule out in the landscapes where we work. Uh, what we see is that um, it's a language. It's a common language to connect multiple stakeholders in a landscape. And most importantly, it offers potential. Uh, it offers opportunities for 
different sets of stakeholders that are in a degraded landscape. So uh, it opens minds. It uh, sketches possibility. It, it sketches a future of a landscape that, that is degraded today. But if you talk in 20 years, what could possibly look uh, a, a restored landscape look like? By having that image in mind, you can work back from it uh, and you can say, okay, what does that mean for us today? Uh, what, what would be a logical step to take then uh, when we're talking about landscape restoration? So if I, if I then imagine how our role will be in 10 years or 15 years from now, it's, it's really nothing more than just thinking out loud. I could imagine we are still there as a partner, as a supporter, but maybe even having taken a further step back um, because our partners are really uh, the kings and queens running, uh, running the programs. If I think of our Spanish program, uh, what we really try to prove is or try to do is that you can um, not only farm regeneratively, but you can also have a regenerative business so that the economy, at least the regional economy here in the landscape where we work becomes regenerative, that the society, the communities where we work become regenerative. And that's actually uh, the blueprint you want to work towards so that it's no longer special what we our partners are doing but that becomes the norm the work that is being done on the farmer that it's paid for by the consumers when he does his or her groceries in the shop yeah if you really dream out loud there is no longer a need for common land or no, no longer a need for our partner because it's the norm it's it's how society runs alfonso and yannick of la contera in the spanish antiplano were on last month's episode they're involved in one of the proof-of-concept landscape regeneration projects that Commonland has committed to enabling and learning from for a period of at least 20 years. The others are in the Netherlands, Australia and South Africa. Erica talked us through what it took to get started in Spain. In 2014, we went on a scouting trip in Spain. We really wanted to, to work in Spain to show it's possible to restore uh, degraded drylands, yes, um, as inspiration for the for the larger Mediterranean basin. So we started scouting in Spain. We visited several uh, landscapes, several uh, initiatives, met a lot of people uh, in September 2014, that was. And during that trip, we also visited the Altiplano, the Altiplano Estepario, uh, a landscape roughly in between Malaga and Alicante uh, of about 1 million hectares where climate uh, conditions are extreme and where almonds are the dominant crop. So in this landscape, we met 20, 30 people um, from all over. One million hectares is about the size of a quarter of the Netherlands. So they didn't know, already know each other. Some did, some didn't. But in, in those conversations, it, it uh, became apparent that the farmers, entrepreneurs, uh, representatives of local uh, authorities all saw something, saw the potential of the four returns framework for their landscape. There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of inspiration, you could say. And that is when we did um, a first co-initiation workshop. Commonland works with Theory U. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard uh, about it before. It's from the Presencing Institute. And it's really a way to, to really listen to each other, to leave your judgment a little bit at the door when you enter, and then and, uh, co-create a commonly shared future together. So in November 2014... With the first farmers and entrepreneurs we met, 
we did a landscape visioning workshop. What would the Altiplano look like in 2034, 20 years later? And um, they were dreaming of a regenerative landscape. They were dreaming uh, of a landscape where agroecology is a form of life connecting economy and ecology, but just as important, confidence and well-being, and uh, both socially and economically. So they they made a vision, and uh, there is a lovely visual, um, and uh, literally with the U, but also with their dreams of restoring natural zones, of farming regeneratively. And interestingly, there's also an elephant on top of the vision. And when I first saw that photo, I was thinking, an elephant in, in Spain? Why is there an elephant in Spain? Yeah, but hey, I, was, I wasn't at the workshop, so okay. But the elephant is the representative for all the different stakeholders and all the different experiences and uh, backgrounds and that we need each other. If we, if we really aim for restoring a landscape of one million hectares, we need people with different backgrounds and different expertise. And yes, sometimes that means that uh, interests don't align, but that's the strength of what we try to do. Uh, in November 2014, the people present in the workshop, the local farmers, the local entrepreneurs, uh, they thought it would be a good thing uh, to uh, jointly establish uh, a farmer-driven association, uh, and that's called Alvlal. And Alvlal is today Commonland's uh, landscape partner uh, in restoring the Altiplano. So we started with a group of 20, 30 people, and from there Alvlal... Uh, started its work firstly with farmers uh, to facilitate the transition to regenerative farming. All small, small, first the workshop here, uh, enabling farmers to do a little pilot on their farm. And then, of course, they see the results and wanting to transform the entire farm. So very promising. Um, uh, already uh, early on, we, we saw that potential. And today, Overall has about 400 members. And that actually, without uh, doing... Um, really active uh, uh, outreach or anything. This has grown organically, and it's that's that's the most impressive part. I think that's also the secret of the four returns. If people hear about it, they see the potential. Um, there is something inspiring in it, uh, and it becomes part of who they are and how they operate. Maybe we need more farmers. I don't know if we want to to transform the entire Altiplano in Spain. Uh, but uh, this is an incredible group of people already. As soon as Alvalau became a little bit more established, when there was a coinadora, uh, when there became a, a, came a team with an ecologist and a business developer and an advisor to uh, for farmers, um, uh, Commonland could already step back a little bit. So uh, the partner took the lead. Commonland, I think today uh, we are really a partner uh, for our landscape partners. As in, there is a very trusted relation. It's very open. We do it together. Um, and at the same time, we respect each other's roles. Uh, our partners are in the lead in the landscapes. And we are the window of the world for those landscapes. Uh, so that means that um, we try to bring the collective story of the landscapes we work in to the world, uh, whether it's in the policy influencing domain or in uh, communications or um, at um, amongst uh, institutions. So um, uh, the partner is, is responsible for the work in the landscape and we facilitate.
because we're doing this really together, uh, there is also, and this, this testing and rolling out of the for returns framework, um, it's also very important to have a certain level of uh, base funding, core funding, I don't know how you uh, could call it best, uh, to have a, the, the consistency in a landscape, that you're not m- hanging on from one funding contract to the next. So Comeland tries to be also that provider of core funding for our landscapes partners. It's also very mutual. Eh? So uh, it, it, it's not about only Comeland stepping back. There's also this constant in- interaction and exchange and this very open way uh, of working together. Uh, that, that, that's what makes it work. And only then, if you have that as a basis, then you can also, uh, or that's what I notice myself at least, then uh, in this co-creation exchange without being it a co-creation, you also see new opportunities arising, uh, which you can then tap into, involve others in and, and build on uh, because we are building, we are exploring and we're constantly adapting and learning and that's never done. When visiting La Junquera, I was struck by just how important Alvalal had been to the success of the farm and everything they're doing there. I'd known about Commonland for a few years, but I think their work can seem quite abstract. It wasn't until Alfonso expressed just how much of a game changer Alvalal is for them that it really hit home to me how impressive the work of Commonland is. So for for me, it was a huge change because it changed from basically being here in the in most in this area alone. I didn't know many other people that were doing. Uh, yeah, more sustainable practices or interested in regenerative agriculture that back then uh, we didn't know if it was called regenerative agriculture or uh, agroecology or uh, biodynamic or uh, permaculture. Each one was calling it a, a different name, I think, depending on the practice. But we were all interested in that, doing things that were more sustainable and that were actually improving instead of degrading the, um, the landscape. And... Thanks to Alvelal, we got many things at the same time. One, it was a lot of moral support, uh, mainly moral support at the beginning. Uh, Then we started gaining also some financing for doing some of these practices that were not uh, productive in the short term, like swales, ponds, hedges and borders, and things like that. Um, And then a huge amount of knowledge uh, because of this network. We started sharing a lot of information between all the farmers. We started sharing also not only information on um, farming practices, but also on clients, on suppliers, uh, where to get you know better products uh, for different things, where to sell better your products. And then uh, a few years later also uh, to create new companies like the Almendresa or recently also Habitat and Alpelal Foods to uh, market the products that were we were doing it already with uh, specific regenerative agriculture practices, uh, with specific standards and uh, with a, a common story. Yeah, let's see. And then, yeah, that's, yeah, that has been a gigantic change uh, from basically me planting a few vegetables uh, alone and not really knowing very well what I was doing and not being able to sell them as even organic to now what uh, what is happening. That is, yeah, many different projects and um, practices and uh, improving the soil, the biodiversity, the water, and being able to market them uh, in a good way and all that. 
So Overlaw works in four um, uh, lines of action. We work on, or Overlaw, I should say, Overlaw uh, uh, works on natural zone restoration. So this is about uh, tree planting to retain the soil or building water infrastructures to prevent runoff, promoting biodiversity in natural areas in the Overlaw territory. And the second line of action is inspiration. This is uh, what gives people uh, hope, purpose, identity. And this is really what brings people together to regenerate, regenerate uh, their landscape. And there are several things that Alvalal does. It's about storytelling. So uh, last year we launched a documentary on the journey of the Alvalal farmers, for example. It's also about um, uh, making landscape restoration visible for uh, uh, normal citizens, normal people who are not involved in, in the landscape rest restoration activities themselves. We, for example, built a large landscape sculpture uh, at the lower slope where we did tree planting. And the landscape sculpture has a form of 8,000-year rock art and is planted in aromatic plants, so lavender, thyme, rosemary. So it changes color and smell with the season. And, uh, because, and it's huge. I believe it's 200 uh, meters or something, or uh, it's echt, it's incredibly huge. So you can see it from the road, and uh, so and and now there are also picnic banks and little signs explaining what we're trying to do. So we try to engage uh, not only with farmers, not only with natural uh, uh, parks, but we try to engage also with people living in the landscape and try to animate them, interest them in. Um, restoring or beautifying their landscape as well. So second line of action is uh, inspiration. Then the third one, and the third one that um, was a starting point in Spain, is to facilitate the transition to regenerative farming. In uh, Alvalal, almonds are a dominant crop. So we focus, uh, especially in the beginning years, a lot on um, working with almond farmers to implement regenerative practices. And that can be a, a range of uh, uh, practices, depending also on the context of the farm, the, the, the physical place, but also on the ambition of the farmer. Um, just to name a couple of examples, it's about, for example, about planting windbreaks. There can be a very heavy wind uh, in the Altiplano, so windbreaks to protect the almond uh, trees uh, can be super helpful. It's about creating key line swales or it's about intercropping with aromatic plants. And the concept we use to facilitate the transition to regenerative farming is a concept that is called La Almendresa. And La Almendresa is actually a combination of two words, almendra, almond, and the hesa. And the hesa is the traditional agroforestry system in Spain. Uh, you may um, get an image of uh, pigs uh, eating acorns under stone oak trees. That is the Dehesa system. And uh, what we do, what we did, uh, is tweaked that Dehesa system to an almond orchard. Almond Rehesa is actually an almond orchard with um, undergrowth, green cover, where sheep, there is a local um, race herding uh, the almond orchard, but also the, 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 the natural areas here. It's called Cordero Segureño. So it's about an almond orchard with sheep, where there is intercropping with cereals or uh, aromatic plants, where there's active uh, beehiving. So a, a, a diverse uh, system, farming system, 
that, that with multiple uh, products sprouting, regenerative products sprouting off the farm. And regenerative products are for us products that give back to nature and not only take. So we, the products, the way they are um, uh, produced is in balance with nature, uh, one step further uh, than organic, at least in Spain. So in Spain, we talk about regenerative organic produce. And that, the products coming off the farm, is then the, the starting point for the fourth line of action of Alvalal, and that is for returns business development. So uh, Alvalal kickstarts businesses to uh, function as a commercial driver for landscape restoration. So businesses that market process products that uh, actually result in a higher margin for the farmer, allowing the farmer to reinvest in his farm to make the farm even more regenerative. So in 2016, Alvalo, our partner, uh, launched the business La Almendresa. So the same name as the concept that we try to use to, to facilitate the transition to regenerative farming is the name of a company uh, that processes and marked, markets regenerative elements from the Altiplano. Maybe in 2021, that sounds very logical, but in 2016, when the company launched, there, there, no, there were no regenerative elements. That market did not exist. And the market was, that market was made by La Almendresa. Um, later, last year, in 2020, we, uh, Alvalo also launched a, regenerative, uh, a cooperative for regenerative olive oil called Habitat, excellent olive oil. So we had launched two businesses, but at the same time we realized, okay, these are producer structures. These are uh, groups of farmers, proud of their products. Um, uh, but in Spain, it's not as common as in Italy then to, to reach also to uh, consumers directly. Uh, so in the Netherlands, we all know the olive oil from uh, Italy, but in the Netherlands, we all we have never heard of olive oil coming from Spain. So the Italian farmers are doing something smart, um, at least in marketing uh, directly to uh, consumers. So um, over the past year, we have been thinking, how can we develop something similar uh, for the products, the regenerative products coming from the Alvalal territory, the Altiplano Esteparia? I, I mentioned before that actually we're creating productive ecosystems on farms with multiple products coming off a farm, uh, and we are now trying to create a business ecosystem in uh, the territory to actually drive um, uh, financially our landscape restoration program. And that, uh, that business ecosystem starts with the products coming off the farm. Then as a second laser, you have the producer structures like La Almendresa, uh, but also Habitat, and the nice thing is we can now also incorporate and facilitate already existing companies, for example, wines or capers or honey, who were interested to join us. They now can uh, become part of the movement to, to transform the Altiplano. And then it will um, the producer structures uh, are uh, combined and connected through a consumer brand called Overall Foods. That's super exciting. Uh, the website is live. It's overallfoods.org. Um, and um, Alvalo Foods will uh, actually target or will aim for uh, online sales. So there will be an online shop. And Alvalo Foods will target brick and mortar uh, retailers uh, to sell the produce coming off their lands uh, from the Altiplano Espario uh, to consumers. And that means that everybody who buys groceries, you, me, 
we can all choose for uh, products that uh, are good for you, but also for the planet, for the Altiplano Estepario, and thereby contribute directly to beautifying and regenerating the landscape uh, here in, in Spain. In general, I think it's important to stress that um, the real heroes uh, in Spain are the farmers, are the, the managers of natural parks, uh, are the landowners. They make the difference. And, um, and luckily, we can now say it's also uh, the case for the entrepreneurs and for the consumers. Um, uh, and it's for me, it's a, a great honor and pleasure to, uh, to travel along on that uh, journey towards regeneration. James shared earlier how farmers had come together across his landscape and were doing a brilliant job implementing ecosystem restoration across each of their farms. What if an organization like Commonland were there to support them in those changes and focus on inspiration and building thriving rural communities, as well as building businesses to support farmers moving out of commodity markets? And all this would be supporting the ecosystem work they're already doing. How would that change and help the farmers moving forward across the landscape. Maybe this kind of support could help to collectively move through some of the tensions we're experiencing on small family farms today, such as the ones Cole explored in Landed. This episode of Farm Alarm was made by me, Joe Barrett, Abby Rose, and Olivia Oldham. A big thanks to the rest of the Farm Alarma team, Katie Revel, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Dora Taylor. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett. <laughs>